stuff because then people know what's going on. So welcome to Holy Shit. Thank you for being here. My name is Dan Taylor. Uh, I'm very excited to be with you guys today. I have two uh, good friends of mine on. Uh, the person that we were all giving our thoughts and prayers and energies to last week has managed to make it here. So please put your hands together for the very funny Norkid. Why? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm doing much better this week. Uh, a little bit more painkillers, so and some ice. I'm feeling good. <laughs> Thanks good. for having me, bud. That's good because I've had. Uh, this is the, believe it or not, this is six episodes into this show. This is the sixth episode, and I've had two Noors so far. So I've had both Noors in Canadian comedy between New and Noor Hadidi. All uh, right, that must be a guys, <laughs> But I was. I must ask, is like. A lot of bookers and comedy audiences can be dumb sometimes. Do you guys get crossed up where people think one is the other, or it's happened a couple of times? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, I think she has like a little bit more uh, success in Toronto just because I just moved right. to Toronto a few years ago, and this is where she started. So like, I'm I'm seen as the other newer, so that's always <laughs> nice. And Nora, Nora, and I haven't been confused for each other yet <laughs> not yet they'll get yet. there <laughs> you'll, you'll get there um also here my good friend uh known him for a long time brilliant person and, and now the 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 genius impresario behind the uh, fire pit comedy tour please put your hands together for Lars Gallio Woo! how are you doing man uh I'm good I'm good just trying to save the world <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> one fire pit comedy show at a time this is yeah. uh yeah so uh if you haven't heard about uh fire pit comedy tours google it it uh is just a really neat I, I just think it's really neat it's a relatively the best ideas are simple ideas and this was a really simple idea uh but i think you executed it really well which is really cool yeah a lot of people when it comes to concepts that i have have said to me, your, your ideas are very simple. <laughs> and, and then I leave it to somebody like Norm Shaw from here by request DJ to execute the minutia. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> no, um, I, it's been so funny. I, as you know, as entertainers, we just want to be on stage. That's all we've ever wanted. And yeah. I just figured out a way to continue to perform for live audiences. And yeah. I, I've always liked the quote, necessity is the mother of all invention. Mm -hmm. and this was born out of necessity i yeah. i have to perform and so <laughs> i found a way and yeah. uh it's uh, it's been a little bit difficult because people can say get off my property <laughs> ha, 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 ha. have you have have you been kicked out of a show yet <laughs> well if they do not yet but if they do i'm gonna just book a show at their neighbors and then just tell jokes over the fence like i'm not i'm doing nice. my closer whether you want it or not nice nice Okay, well, and you, you like, I won't tell the joke because it, it won't work if I tell it, but you got to Google Stuart Lee has a, an opening bit about get out of my back garden. It's a really brilliant bit. And yeah. basically, the premise of it is just like, there's this comedian they used to know, like, that did a bit where he was just this weird looking dude and he went on stage carrying shopping bags. And his opening line was, people often say to me, get out of my backyard, back garden. <laughs> You know, um, That's funny. and then the story is that a famous person, like a famous comedian, stole the joke, uh, but it didn't work for a famous comedian because, like, if you looked at your back anyway, if you looked at your back into your backyard and saw like 
and it wasn't Russell Peters. It was a famous British comedian. But if you looked at your back window and saw like Russell Peters standing there, you'd be like, you wouldn't say like, get out of my garden. You'd be like, is that Russell Peters? <laughs> What's Russell Peters doing? I'm like, hey, that's so anyway, that's uh, Google that. Stuart Lee's brilliant. So um, we're here to talk about the Bible uh, and and talk specifically about uh, some Bible stories. But I always start off by asking, like, what is your familiarity with stuff like this? So, so Noor, you grew up uh, Muslim uh, predominantly. So, and there are many of these kind of stories that the Christian tradition would call Old Testament stories that are shared uh, across all three kind of Western traditions of, of Judaism, Islam, and, and Christianity. Did you? What's your familiarity with these kind of stories? Oh, I'm actually like pretty familiar with them. Uh, my dad uh, used to tell me all of them when I was growing up. Uh, and like, I think it was more from an Islamic lens. So uh, yeah, that was my, uh, that, that's a whole team, I guess. That was my, uh, but um, yeah, like uh, also my dad, like, cause I grew up in High River. So like a small, like Alberta town. Yeah. Uh, my dad was very like open and like my, both my parents were. So like, I even remember um, in elementary when, uh, the school like gave out free Bibles. Uh, okay. Like I think it was like a church group who came out. Uh, yeah, like that, my that's dad. the Gideons. They do that in grade five. Yeah. Yeah, in grade five it was. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I, my dad was always like, "Yep, yeah, take the Bible and like okay, uh, cool. listen to all the stories." And um, I also went to a Christian uh, youth uh, group, mostly for the laser tag <laughs> and the wave pool. But uh, <laughs> it was it was definitely worth it and uh if i had to listen to some bible stories for a wave pool i know do it i'll take that any day of the week you would have been you you would have been the most coveted person there it's so i don't know if you've met uh rizwan muhyiddin uh i did it i was talking to him one time and he told me the same that he did the same thing like he went to a christian youth group when he was in high school both for like uh but mostly for girls and wave pools and then it also kind of ticked off his dad <laughs> and I was like, so it just hit all three spaces so um on a i'm always curious about this because especially for i think for people who come from a muslim background uh if you're an outside that you assume that all people who grew up muslim grew up the same amount of muslim right like that that everyone's equally devout and uh so, like, if I don't know what the the high, most devout Muslim person would be, but if ten is that, right? The the you're an imam or whatever, you know, like that, like, and and zero being like just you celebrate the holidays and that's about it, you know. Like, where do you feel like your family ranked in there? I would say my mom's at an eight, my dad's okay. at a five, and I'm probably at a two. So, like, <laughs> yeah, okay, we had yeah. Uh, we had some disparity in the in the family. Yeah, did that? Was that conflict, or was that just like you live with it? And... Oh no, it was just uh, how it worked. Uh, okay, my mom, cool. my mom uh, was very, very spiritual and kind of turned to prayer a lot. My dad was uh, more skeptical, and I was a comedian, so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I kind of uh, went uh, when I heard like George Carlin and all that uh, kind of stuff in college. Uh, right. And, uh, yeah, reading those kind of, like, books, I think my mind kind of went down that uh, route in college. Yeah. So I kind of, like, went away from religion. But then I, I came back to, like, find a more spiritual part of myself, yeah. like, after college uh, when I kind of 
found out like just leaving that kind of world behind was just not very healthy for me it kind of left me a little bit of an empty right right yeah and and becoming a comedian as we all know becoming a comedian like becoming once you become a comedian like losing your religion is not the most disappointing thing that you've ever done to your parents <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that is that's very true <laughs> you went to university and now you do this like, yeah. <laughs> so Lars, you had a kind of a unique upbringing because you were a showbiz kid so was this in and around or so no i i honestly knew nothing absolutely nothing of organized religion nothing not not of any of them so positive my parents, negative no and uh, no not even a little and and it's you know as a as a child um we my parents had a hit record when i was five so when i was six we started touring canada so from six till 13 we were in a new hotel room every week so on sundays we would get up in the morning and we would go into the bar of whatever hotel they were playing, Rycroft, Hythe, Vermilion, Fox Creek, Fort Nelson, Norway House, Manitoba, Pine Point, Northwest Territories, you name it, we were there. And so we would, my parents would play Monday to Saturday. Sunday, the bars would be closed. So as a kid, you could go into the bars right. and you could shoot pool, you could drink fountain pop, and then you'd look for change on the floor. You'd probably make 20 bucks. And in the 80s, I mean, yeah, $10, yeah. $20 was a ton. Yeah. And, and then I found a hundred dollar bill once in Sundry, Alberta when I was, oh, when I was young, nice. but, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so I knew nothing of organized religion and, and my parents, both my dad, um, was actually in residential schools. So my dad had a bit of a skewed view. Uh, he was not a big fan of nuns, but, but he, you know, obviously yeah. had organized religion yeah. and my mom also, you know, Christian and never spoke about it and for most of my life until i was 27 26 i think i thought jesus and god were the same person right just different right. names for the same thing yeah no idea i thought that that was what it was yeah. and i was dating a girl from viking alberta and her parents went to a united church every sunday so the first time i ever attended a church service was uh viking alberta i was 27 and so I dated her for about a year and we would go out to see your parents on the weekends and go to church on Sundays. Oh, wow. And, um, and then one of really, uh, it was like a perfect time in my life. So to start going to church to watch Dan, um, <laughs> right at the start of him covering acts. So it was the day that he started covering acts right. and for the entire year he covered acts. And it was at this exact point in my life. And I really enjoyed it. It didn't feel force fed. It felt like there was a scientific approach to it. So it wasn't until then I, and I guess I would have been 39. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And then, uh, and then it was funny because my, well, I have a favorite moment where pastor Dan was talking about how he sings a certain hymn when he brushes his teeth. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Don't and, let me do that on the podcast. No, no. And so everybody in the congregation said, sing it, sing it, sing it. So he sang it, and I'm sitting in the back of the church, and when he finishes, I went like this. <laughs> Might have been the biggest laugh I got that year. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and it was kind of fun. You paid me the nicest compliment, because I remember you saying, like, when I kind of finished that, it was actually probably closer to 18 months, really, that we were in the Book yeah. of Acts, you know, mm -hmm. um, over the whole time. And, and I remember you saying, like, when we were finished, you were just, you were kind of like, 
I miss my friends. Like the the characters from the Book yeah. of Acts. Like it was sort Truly. of like if you've ever like spent seven seasons watching a television show and then it's over and you're just like, I miss these people. What do I? <laughs> yeah. You watch Saul and then Paul yeah. and then and then the the, the, the the transformation into this better person and and at yeah. the end when you're like we're moving on and i'm like whoa what <laughs> well, we can't isn't, isn't there more acts in the old testament or something doesn't have the quran have old acts can we just stay on this yeah, 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 yeah. couldn't there have been a, a spin-off like uh yeah. the jeffersons Can, is, did he ever do a yeah really an oversight in terms of like <laughs> not continuing the acts cinematic universe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Lucas Arts couldn't have done something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the story. I, I wanted to have you guys on specifically. This is fun. Once I realized that it was going to be you two guys, uh, I was really excited about this because I'm going to do less the, about telling a story that I'm going to uh, a specific story that I'm going to tell you a story about a guy, and and I'm going to talk about Ezekiel today. And I find I think you guys are going to find Ezekiel fascinating because Ezekiel is a guy who. Um, anyway, I'll just tell the story because I think we're going to find Ezekiel fascinating both as humans, but also as, as craftspeople because Ezekiel is, uh, is fascinating. So, so we don't know anything about Ezekiel before he turns 30. We just don't know anything about him. He doesn't live, uh, in the nation of Israel. There's been kind of like this conquest and exile and he and his family were exiled out of it. And, and so they're kind of living in exile outside of kind of their ancestral homeland. Uh, and when he, but, uh, so we first meet him when he turns 30. And when he turns 30, he has a vision. And he says he has a vision. And, and in this vision, God comes to him and gives him a scroll. And he eats the, and says, eat the scroll. And God, so then Ezekiel says, okay. And he eats the scroll. And he says it was bitter to, to the taste and they, but he eats the scroll and then God says to him you're going to be a messenger to my people and and I'm going to put my words in your mouth and you're going to say them and they're not going to listen to you um but if I am holding someone accountable and I'm going to take their life because of their unrighteousness and I tell you to warn them and you don't warn them you're going to be accountable for their life, Ezekiel, right? So that's the responsibility that Ezekiel is bearing, is that he's, he is not responsible for their response to the message, but if he doesn't deliver the message, regardless of their response, God is going to hold him responsible. So he has this, and then he has this other, so, so that's what it starts with. It starts with him eating the scroll, and, uh, and then he also has this other vision that is really difficult to describe, but he has a vision of like, he describes it in great detail of, of uh, be beings that were human, but not human. And they had four faces and four wings. And one of their faces is a lion face. And one of their faces is a human face. And one of their faces is a bear face. But they also... Uh, move with wheels somehow there's wheels that move them around because the spirit of them is in the wheels and the wheel and and the wheels move with the spirit of the the beings so and Ezekiel just goes into great detail describing these and when you read it you're just like like but and uh and another thing that's amazing to me about the detail of it is that he describes the sounds when he has a vision he describes the sounds of the vision really clearly so um 
the first kind of public thing that he does as a uh, as a messenger of the Lord is he's asked to God says build a model of the city of Jerusalem. So he builds this tiny scale model of the city of Jerusalem in like the public square. And he, so he builds the wall and he builds all the buildings and he has this tiny little model and, and he supposed, and God says to him, I want you to lie down facing it for 390 days. Right. So to symbolize that God was going to send a siege against the city of Jerusalem. So he does that. And also he says, I'm going to give you food. The food, this is the food that you're supposed to eat. And if you've, have you guys ever heard of Ezekiel bread? Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's this like fancy kind of hippie bread and it has, so there's a verse in Ezekiel 4, 9 that says, make bread, where God tells Ezekiel, make bread and make it with like, beans and lentils and spelt and there's like all of this kind of stuff and what's funny is this ezekiel bread company has ezekiel 4 9 on it and it's like god says make this bread and this will be your food so ezekiel does it but what's hilarious is that that's ezekiel 4 9 it like lays out the bread recipe and then ezekiel 4 12 god says now bake the bread over human dung in front of all the people so that they will understand how it was supposed to be done so every time i see ezekiel bread in the store i'm like was this baked over human dung?" because <laughs> what ezekiel says is like whoa 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 that's unclean i've never eaten anything unclean in my life and god says okay you can bake it over cow dung and ezekiel was <laughs> <goes> like whoo <laughs> <laughs> But I'm like, is this a real dung-baked Ezekiel bread? So that's kind of, that's his his first one. He does this day. <laughs> slow clap. That deserves slow clap. that. <laughs> so he does this David Blaine style 390 day installation. You know, with with the the with, with the model of Jerusalem and him eating this dung bread and then just lying with his face against it and then he turns over and lies with his face away from the model of Jerusalem because God has instructed him that like after 390 days, I'm going to turn my face away from Jerusalem. So do that. So you can imagine like you, you can imagine what's happening is people just walk by this thing every day, right? It's just this weird phenomenon taking place in the public square. And then the, the next thing seen that God asks him to enact is he says, I want you to shave all of the hair off your body and I want you to weigh it into three different piles. So Ezekiel shaves all of the hair off his body and weighs it so that he has a third and a third and a third. And the third of the pile, he's supposed to put inside uh, the model of Jerusalem and light it on fire as a demonstration that the people inside Jerusalem are going to burn. And then he's supposed to take another third of it and he's supposed to like attack all of his hair with the sword to show that another third of the people will be put to the sword. And then he's supposed to take another, the last third of his hair, and he's supposed to throw it to the wind because the rest of the people of Israel will be scattered to the wind. So there's this, his whole thing is this like weird performance art thing that he's got going on. This happens over the course of like 390 days. So this is like over a year that he's, that he's doing this thing. And then uh, we take a break, you know, in the story. We, we, we don't really have a specific incident, but we do have Ezekiel doing like written judgments against the different cities of Israel and countries around Israel. So he says like, but if you read it, it's like material that we would consider blue material even now. Like 
he criticizes the city of Jerusalem and says, like, Jerusalem, you've gone about whoring yourself all over the place for these Egyptians. Egy you, you were fascinated by the Egyptians and their large genitalia. And there's who there and talks about like Jerusalem as an as an adulterer who loved like foreign gods with their large genitalia and 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 who had emissions like that of camels like so there's like <laughs> the book of ezekiel is full of like dick jokes and and cum jokes and like all of this weird stuff and it's like all of you are like defiling each other's wives like everybody's swapping like he's so it's this weird blue phase that like bob saget level blue that lenny uh, lenny bruce early <laughs> bruce, yeah early lenny bruce with that that ezekiel goes through and then after a period of time um the next weird phase in his in, in his life is that his wife dies and god says god like but when his wife dies god says you're not allowed to mourn so in the time that is to come so many people are going to be dying that no one's going to have a chance to mourn anyone. So as part of a, your warning, uh, you're not allowed to mourn. So he didn't change his clothes. He didn't have a funeral. He didn't like go around in sackcloth and ashes as would have been the custom. He didn't do any of that stuff. And people are like, why are you just acting like normal? And, and it was part of this performance art piece that he was doing that like as part of his warning, the, the future that is to come, uh, no one's going to have time to mourn. So that's kind of his second big performance art piece. And then, then there's a third performance art piece that he does that I find really fascinating in that. Uh, so God instructs him. He says, I'm going to send everybody into exile. So you need to pack all your stuff as if you're going into exile. So Ezekiel packs all this stuff like he's going into exile and he's like and you need to escape the city so even though the city is not yet under siege like ezekiel is this performance art piece like digs his way out of jerusalem like digs his way through the wall carrying all of his stuff and then he's supposed to wander away as and run away from the city as if he's going into exile and he does it but then the kicker is and i love the way that the bible writes it because it leaves with the punchline and do this all blindfolded because you can't see the land <laughs> you know? so so his his third performance art piece is this blindfolded going into exile uh and and leaving everything and then and then again, throughout the story, this is punctuated by these visions, you know, and the other famous vision that I, I want to talk to you guys about is, is he has the God, he says, he has this vision where God takes him over this massive valley that's just filled with bones, right? And, and the bones are dry. And uh, God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, I don't know, I'm having a vision right now. And God says, <laughs> I'm going to breathe life back on to the 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 bones and then there's this really vivid imagery where ezekiel talks about there was a rattling he heard the bones rattling and the first thing that happens is sinews begin to tie all the bones together and then he's like and then muscle came onto the bones and then skin came onto the bones and then finally after skin breath comes into the bones and this was symbolic that everything that had been destroyed would be restored and, and he describes it 
in in with these this really specific vivid language of the sound it makes and the smells and and the sight of it and, it, and when you're reading it it's really overwhelming to try and do so and then that at, at, at the end of this there is no real end to his story ezekiel has this five-year period where he's doing all these performance art pieces and at the end of it there's kind of a a repeat of his first scene where where he has a vision and God calls to him and says, I'm making you a watchman. And if I tell you to speak words against somebody and you don't warn them, then I'm going to hold you responsible for anything that happens to them. And one of the things that I, reasons I wanted to have both of you guys on is that I think we see in this story of Ezekiel, a fascinating connection of like craft and calling and also just this kind of like weird psychedelic visions so i want to start with you nor because i know you've had psychedelic experiences and you're interested in talking about them but like one of the stories about ezekiel one of the ways that people explain it is that he was using hallucinogenics you know was that when he has this vision of of beings with that are people but they have heads with four faces was that he was using hallucinogenics and that eating the scroll was eating whatever hallucinogenic thing gave him the so with someone who's had these kinds of experiences do you remember what you saw in that like is it that kind of vision and is it that it remembered in that kind of detail or do you attach a story to it afterwards how do you respond to that as somebody who's done these things uh yeah you can um like you'll get visions and uh, sometimes if it's like a vision that's supposed to mean something, it'll be stuck in your head forever. Like uh, you'll, okay. like you'll know that um, it, it means something to you. So for some reason that, that it was told to you uh, also when it comes to insights, like I think insights uh, the better, like the best thing you can get through a psychedelic, like a vision is great. Um, but then like you do have to kind of do the interpretation yourself and right. um, that could be hard work. Right. But like an insight comes to you and all of a sudden you can just see something completely clear, like cl more clearly, like some aspect of your life or your personality or something. And that like actually allows like growth um, to like you can growth to take place. Uh, the one thing I love about this story though uh, it reminds me so much of a psychedelic journey. Um, the whole idea of like how it starts off and a lot of it is talking about death and breaking down. Um, this kind of, and yeah, it can get very dark. A, a lot of times the psychedelic kind of starts like that the first like couple hours. Like I, I know like on ayahuasca, this is like a, a medicine that I've taken in the Amazon. Um, this one, like a lot of times it does start off like that and where everything's kind of breaking down and like, uh, it seems destructive. It seems very like death oriented and like almost you sometimes feel like you're going to die mm -hmm. and it, it scares the hell out of you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And like a lot of this is breaking down your ego and your whole idea of like what you are and like trying to show you like how, what you are really is like, not any of that kind of stuff and that's why like once you kind of like get that uh insight and once that actually hits you then all of a sudden the building up starts again like kind of like how right. at the end of this story all of a sudden the bones start coming up and the the flesh the skin and like all of that and the life force starts coming through you at the end of every psychedelic journey 
you'll feel that life force come back into you and that like it comes through your breath and you kind of go like <gasps> and like and then like that's like one of the most like yeah that's one of the most like beautiful parts of a, a psychedelic and it kind of gives you this whole like idea of like rebirth and that whole feeling afterwards right so the concept of ezekiel coming out of that experience with like a purpose where this is who this is why i'm here this is what i'm supposed to be doing regardless of anything else regardless of result regardless of whatever my job is to communicate this thing to anyone who will hear it like that's not a foreign like that that in your mind jives with what might happen on a psychedelic experience or a oh, well yeah. done psychedelic experience i'm assuming yeah. that's different than the guy who ate a bunch of mushrooms on my high school bus <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like that's true if you're if you're doing psychedelics more recreationally like you're not probably gonna have uh, those kind of deep insights but yeah no 100 percent. like uh psychedelic when done properly and like uh done in that kind of way it'll um it'll 100 uh, make you more aware of yourself and like a lot of times your purpose uh mm. what you're meant to do um what you should do all of that stuff so Lars, i want to bring you in here at this point like i'm if you've had a psychedelic experience feel free to to share anything about that but i don't think that's your jam really no i've never i haven't even haven't even imbibed in marijuana i've uh, <laughs> oh, never wow. done yeah. i've never and i'm not opposed to it yeah, yeah, yeah. i honestly yeah no i 100 percent in favor of people doing whatever doesn't hurt other people so i've never yeah. just never did it but I find the idea of like, I think you're uh, one of the things I appreciate you is, about you is you're a craftsperson, you know, like, and you care about the craft of comedy very, very deeply. Um, and I guess one of the things that I see in the story of Ezekiel, and I hope I conveyed it, is there was a connection of calling to craft, right? Um, when Ezekiel got this calling that I have to communicate with something, that turned into a very specific idea of what he was supposed to do. He wasn't just wandering around the streets yelling at strangers. He, he built an art project, you know? Um, and I guess, you know, as a craftsperson, did you feel like a calling into this craft or do you feel like it chose you or do you feel like you didn't have a choice in it or yeah. Well, you know, as listening to you tell the Bible stories and again, my experiences have been, almost specifically Pastor Dan, right, right. I find that you convey this. And so think, I'll relate it to my comedy in a minute, but when I think about here's a person who's trying to convey the idea of the city's going to be under siege or you're going to fall under the sword or you're going to be spread amongst the wind. All of those things, um, maybe somebody doesn't learn by just being told something. So you mm -hmm. see people who learn, uh, they're auditory learners or they're visual learners or they really need to touch and feel the things that they're learning. And, and, you know, I was a casino dealer, you know, 20 years ago when I would train the game of craps. And when I was training other people to, to deal the game of craps, you would see the light come on when they got it, but you'd also see when people didn't get it. Yeah. And so if, if you were told by God to say, this is the message I want you to convey and here's how I want you to convey it, or here's the message you get it through how you want. And if you don't have the luxury of wave pools and laser tag, <laughs> then, then what you're doing is you're showing that I'm so committed to, to telling you this idea. And there's, um, um, what's the book called? It's called, uh, oh goodness. Anyway, one of the stories is um, when P.T. Barnum wanted to get people into his 
into his uh, circus. Like what he would do in New York when he had the building originally was he paid this, saw this guy who was, you know, homeless person or something. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pay you 10 times what you've ever made in your life. So if it was $2, I'm going to pay you 20 bucks. Back then it was this insane amount of money. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take two bricks. I want you to go around my building, moving one brick in front of the other. You're not allowed to talk to anybody. You're not allowed to tell anybody what you're doing. You just have to do this exercise of moving this brick around the, these two bricks around the building, one in front of the other, and just do it. And no matter what anybody says or does or asks you, don't speak. Mm-hmm. And he would go around the block doing this. And people were like, what's this guy doing? What, what, and people get curious. What's right. he doing? What's he doing? And then at the end of it, the guy would go into P.T. Barnum's wow. circus. Yeah, and so yeah. people would just follow him in going like, well, Hey, we want to know what this guy's doing. And they're like, Oh, well it's 50 cents to get in. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Ezekiel, here's this thing where he wants to convey this thought or idea yeah, yeah, and yeah. nobody's going to listen. If you tell them once, nobody's right. going to listen. If how committed are you to getting your message across? Right. And so you're like, well, how about this for 390 days? <laughs> I will lay here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for the first four days, people are like, well, it's just, just Ezekiel. You know him. Yeah. <laughs> day 30, day 190, you're like, yeah. we got to figure out what's going on here. And, and now your curiosity. So if you were conveying thoughts and ideas and you were trying to show people how committed you were to, you know, and not to, to, to be dismissive of a biblical story, but yeah, no how committed are you to the bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating because, I mean – I find that really fascinating because like I I'm the only person which makes me feel like I'm wrong but like I've studied this and read a lot of stuff about it I'm the only person that I've ever heard of talking about Ezekiel as a performance artist because like we've all been at fringes and stuff like that right and like this to me seems like something that you would see at fringe right and oh yeah you know and the kind of person that you would see at fringe where they would like pat they would probably yeah, like because fringe might have a rule that it's like you can't do shows after midnight right so he's got you got to stop laying down by your thing after midnight and you, yeah and you see them in the beer tent and it's just like oh it's that guy wow he's intense <laughs> you, know, like, sure. but, you know but like we were like in some ways that made this story easier for me easier for me to grasp because i'm like i know i feel like i know this guy he's really weird but he's super committed to the bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 a message. Like it, yeah. it's one thing to to stand at a pulpit and try and get your message across. But if you said, if if there was, let's say you were committed to this bit, you would you would build okay. this this um this city and sure, yeah, and <laughs> laid in front of it, yeah. and there was a plaque that explained what you were trying to accomplish with this. Yeah. Would people go, man, you got to go see, you got to go see there's push up guy. And then there's lay down guy. You know, you got to go see lay down guy. <laughs> Tell me who wouldn't stop to read that. What you were trying to get across to be like, Hey, uh, hate to bother you, but uh, what are you doing? And yeah. you'd go, Oh, well actually I would, I would let you read the scroll, but I ate it. <laughs> and yeah. so, and so to, to, to try and get a message across that way. I mean, this yeah. is one of the most committed people to following direction. You know, yeah. like this, this is, this is, he's talking to God and he's like, he's like, Gump, why did you put that gun together so fast? Gump? And he's like, cause you told me to drill sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like, cause you guys, you know, both live in this world where, you know, 
we're all humans with microphones in our hands, right? Like yeah. that are regularly invited to get up in front of a group of people. Um, Ezekiel felt like he had a very specific message, you know, that w- which was we're, we've gone astray. God is going to bring judgment. We can still turn. Um, do you, do you guys feel any responsibility when you take a mic in your hand that I got to do something like, and that doesn't mean you got to preach, you got to like convince people of climate change, but do you, like, I know that personally, and I, maybe this is just because I grew up preaching first, but like when I have the mic in my hand, I feel a bit of a burden, you know, like I can feel a little bit of heaviness that I got to one, be good right? Like I got to be a decent craftsperson. I got to, I got to make these people laugh. That's what they're expecting me to do. That's what they paid for, you know, um, or showed up for, even if I'm not getting paid, but like, do you guys feel that? And like, there's a a lot of selfishness in there as well, but I do feel like, I definitely feel like there's something that I'm carrying as I go up there. Do you guys feel that? Or is it just like, nah, I don't know. I'll let Nor go first. I, I, I'm going to open up something on my computer, which may take a year. (laughs) Um, I'll actually say like, yeah, a little bit. Uh, When I first started doing comedy, um, I don't, I think at that point it was more of just learning how to tell a joke, learning how to like do the craft. So I think I felt less, less of that. And uh, I know I did a lot of simple jokes, like simple race jokes, simple sex jokes that uh, were just like, if I, when I look at them now, it makes me kind of cringe. But like now, uh, yeah, now I do kind of see, uh, I do have a little bit of responsibility, but like, it's also like what my intention is. And my intention is to like spread joy. Like I love spreading joy and I love seeing, like giving like an audience an actual experience. Like when I see a person like just laughing their ass off and you can just see that they're just lost in that laughter and like actually having like an experiencing like a good moment like like, that's what I want that's my intention and like so that's what I want to give and uh yeah I want to give those in genuine ways where and um yeah uh like another thing like the farther I get into it I do want to write more original stuff like Mm. that kind of stuff uh those are kind of like new intentions and stuff that I kind of keep giving myself just to like grow as an artist right yeah yeah so so um i have to sneeze so that's why i'm hesitating right now um (laughs) come on nose um not on stage so i think um doug stanhope is one of the greatest if not the greatest at poking holes in like i think it is a comedian's job to talk about the emperor's lack of clothes i think it is our job to convey thoughts and ideas and challenge people's thoughts and ideas yeah. with with something and so this is i mean this uh, for for people who are listening to this next idea it is a little bit of a parental warning so right. this is this is gonna the, connect there's a swear in the title of the show so we're <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah so so paul provenza is incredible at writing jokes that challenge your thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. and every show paul provenza who he wrote the movie, the, well, he, he did the movie, The Aristocrats. He produced right. that. He wrote the book, Satirists. He had the comedy green room was his, uh, was, was a TV show that he had. So he says a joke that whenever somebody asks me this question, like, what well, do you think comedians have an obligation to have some sort of message? And I kind of do, but 
I feel hypocritical when I say that because I don't have a message. A lot of my stuff is like, boy, daylight savings time is weird. Like it's not, there's no <laughs> yeah. message there. It's, yeah, yeah. it's just incredibly well-written jokes. No, I'm... <laughs> but, yeah. I was just going to go with that. I was going to let you have hey, it. Man, I, I, you uh, should have just kept going. Okay, man. I can't, I can't say that with a straight face. Um, so, so he says a joke where, where, and again, this is an example of somebody challenging your thoughts and ideas. Which side of the fence are you on? And he said, uh, my wife and I like to mess with Christians. We tell them we're going to have an abortion, but it's okay because the baby's gay. <laughs> and so Paul Provenza does this kind of stuff where it takes an idea and you're like, well, uh, I don't, yeah. uh, like, <laughs> like you can't, well, which side are you on? Pick a side. And so yeah. I think that we have an obligation to do that. I wish this would open. Um, uh, so I think we have an obligation to do that as comedians, but I'm not particularly great at it. So somebody like Doug Stanhope, you know, he, he has so many, um, so many great jokes where he goes, people say support the troops. Why? Support the troops. Why? And now I've done military tours and I absolutely do. But Doug Stanhope, who, who, who really is outside the box, paradigm breaking, just challenging everything you've ever thought, goes, and he does it, he's a master of the craft. He goes, support the troops. I met a nice troop. I support that guy. I met, I met a troop who was a jerk. I hope that guy gets killed first. Like, I, I, you know, let's do this on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so yeah, Doug, yeah, so Doug Stanhope is like, why? Give me a reason. Yeah. And Doug Stanhope, one of the famous clips of Doug Stanhope going around is about patriotism. And he's like, why? Because you were born somewhere? Like, oh, that's I a, love that's that a, bit. And, um, um, and so... So for me, on stage, I don't have the message that I would like. If, right. if I were to have a bunch of free wishes, one of my wishes is that I could challenge thoughts and ideas the way that Bill Burr does, the way right. that Doug Stanhope does, the way that Jim Jeffries does. Jim Jeffries is one of the most incredible storytellers and thought-provoking comedians of all time. I agree and Yeah, so um, for me... I don't say I don't have a message the way I would like to. And I've worked with comedians who do. And it's really, really amazing to watch. It's a skill in and of itself on social media. I think it's very important for us to call out bad behavior. Right. So I had, I had somebody who, who followed me and was like, Hey, I really like your comedy. And, and they had in a tweet, so before I follow somebody back, I'll go to tweets and replies and I'll read their scroll to see what type mm -hmm. of person they are. How are they responding to people? How are they interacting? Right. And this guy said, people from Coquitlam, BC or wherever. It wasn't Coquitlam, but I'm just using it. People from Pinocchio are trash. And That's not I, funny. <laughs> I took a screenshot of, uh, uh, so this was in his tweets and replies. So he was replying yeah. to somebody to call him out. And I, I replied to him with a screenshot and I said, this kind of toxicity yeah. is what makes social media unpleasant. I go, there's no need to blanket statement. This person's garbage. This people or these people are garbage. I go, this is what I go. I can't like, I can't yeah. follow you back, man, because I don't want to, to follow someone who is going to uh, harass other people online. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, no, I, I simply won't follow you back. And he messaged me and was like, you know what? You're right. 
de deleted those tweets and I followed him back and we had a nice exchange. We're adults. We're grownups. Right. If you think it's okay to, and so the re what I was trying to find was there was a guy who I followed and he looks like a real social, pardon me, social justice warrior, which I'm okay with. I want people to call out bad behavior. I really do. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he said, uh, people from Alberta are, uh, are all Trumpers. They're all Trumpers and they're all these right wing wing nuts. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, and he's like, these people are all like, it's all most Albertans are garbage. And it's said he lived in Edmonton. And what? so, uh, and so, yeah, so, <laughs> all right. <laughs> sure. And so I messaged him, I direct messaged him and I said, I want to find his name because I'm going to call him out. Um, and so I messaged him and said, you know, actually for the majority of people around the world, I've been, I've been to 30 countries or more. Yeah. The majority of people are decent and kind and loving and generous. They are good people. And people of Alberta will stop and help you change a tire. It's been proven where they drop a wallet with money in it and they leave it all around different yeah. cities and how many people return the wallet. And Edmonton had a stellar record with that. Yeah. People from Alberta will get, give you back your wallet. They, they are good. And I said this to him in a message. And I said, I, I think that they're, they're, I think it's unfair. I go, most of my friends are entertainers. And in my circle, the people are liberal yeah. you know they're very open-minded and kind and i said I, I you know i don't think this is fair to to generalize people like that and if you're going to generalize everybody from alberta like that then you have to be okay when people generalize you yeah. if people yeah, go you are this you can't take offense to that yeah blocks me after sending a message sorry you took the time to write that out oh posts on his twitter found another trumper blah, 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 this and so the the comic genius account yeah. i like i was going to go unfollow him from the radio station account because he probably was one of my follow for follow games yeah. so i go to just unfollow him and i see that he's implied that i'm like this right-wing yeah person and i, I replied i go hey do you want to post the screenshots of the direct messages or should i <laughs> <laughs> because i think it's we, if we, everybody calls out bad behavior yeah. and and in the message i said would you know would your mother be proud right. would your mother be proud of your behavior and i want my mom to be proud you know yeah. we've all made mistakes we all have yeah, you know yeah. we've all in the life and hopefully we we have a chance at redemption hopefully hopefully <laughs> we can atone for our sins but but i I don't have the message, you know, to the long answer to this. I don't have a message on stage, but on social media, I call people out immediately. Right. And I go, this is not, this is not the behavior that's acceptable. And I try and do it respectfully. And a lot of times I do it in a direct message because I go, Hey, have you thought about this? Isn't the best way to do this. Yeah. And you know, and so, so I, you know, I, I like that the message that I have is be a grown up, be yeah. an adult, you know, because I, I, I want people to, I want people to be kind to one another. I think that that's one of the, that's one of the things that, that I want for me. I expect of myself is that I want, you know, yeah. you know, I, I, I want, uh, I, oh, perfect. I'll be able to find it. So well, if you ask your next question. Well, it's interesting because uh, I'm almost the exact opposite in that. Like, I don't, I try not to, like, I try not to engage people that are like, 
argumentative online just because it's really bad for me you know like i that it's like i know what it's like to get that adrenaline hit of arguing with somebody online like i like and that feels really good but it's also kind of poisonous where it's just like if if that's all it is is like because you i can just chase that that chase that all day long about like i'm right and you're you know like and i'm dunking on this guy like i i could totally see myself just spending hours and hours doing that and and but simultaneously understanding that like that's really not a good thing for me to do as a human so it is interesting to do that i think from the craft perspective, I find it interesting that when we meet, when we meet Ezekiel in this story, um, he's 30. He has this experience vision, you know, we're not really told where it comes from, but he has this experience. And then he does this kind of really well-developed performance piece. And I think what's fascinating, even even as you, you talk about it, how just like you're, your comedy is not yet where you would like it to be. And I think you, all of us are, are that way. Like, I find it fun to imagine what Ezekiel's like earlier performance pieces might've looked like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because there's an element of like, I think, you know, like we, we meet him in, we meet him in the middle of something. And, and so there's two ways that we can take this. And I think that the, there's the kind of the, the religious thing where God told him exactly what to do when he did it. And, and that I think is a good thing, but there's another way that it's like, he'd been developing this performance piece craft for a while, wasn't really good. And this is the first thing that hit. And it's not unusual to be like, look back on the stuff that you told in your twenties and the jokes that you told in your twenties or the songs that you told in your twenties be like, it was trying to be something, but I kind of wish it didn't exist. <laughs> you know, do you guys, what, what do you guys think of in terms of that? Like that development of a craft, do you, was, was there kind of like a, and I, all of us, it sounds like all of us are, are not there yet, but I don't think Ezekiel, but was there a moment where you feel like, oh, this is what I want to sound like. I'm not fully developed yet, but there was like a switch where you switched from like telling, we all did this, telling those dick jokes to now, okay, now I'm starting to sound more like what me sounds like. Did that happen for you guys or? Yeah. Well, I think for me personally, like uh, I remember back in the day I did uh I did a joke uh, about spirituality and like, it was about uh, energy. Like I, I did a joke and I did like an impression of energy where I was just like, kind of like doing that and shit. And um, it, like, it was actually like uh, probably like the smartest joke I ever wrote at that time. And it like actually was something that was like, important <coughs> to me. like something I think about um, like actually in my like everyday life and I like to discuss like just as like in conversations and everything yeah. so one once I got like that joke down I was just like okay so this is the kind of stuff I want to write so like then I like started writing a lot more on that kind of basis and like uh, yeah like uh, like you said I, I'm still on that uh, journey of like uh, being able to perfect that uh, that whole kind of craft of talking about what I actually want to talk about. But uh, yeah, once I wrote that one joke, I, I remember going like, okay, this is a game changer. Like this is better yeah. than everything I've ever wrote before. Well, and cause I just think about like my oldest child is like learning instruments and writing songs. And there was a point where they didn't write uh, the, the, they didn't know their instrument well enough to write the songs that they wanted yet. Right. And then there was a point where, their instrument had to catch up to their desire and, and 
those things converge. And, and even I've been watching Michael Jordan with The Last Dance, and he talks about how that last season he felt like was when his mind finally caught up to his body. You know, and like his last season was when the, his craft of playing basketball finally caught up to his his body playing basketball. And I think that, that, like you just talked, there's a bit where it's like, that's it. That's what I've been aiming for all this time. And I don't know, Lars, if you, you know, because yeah. all of us, when we start out, like I always tell people, because I teach a comedy class and I talk to other people about all art all the time. I say, wear your influences on your sleeve, especially in the beginning. Like, don't be embarrassed about sounding like somebody else because we all sound like somebody else. Um, and we don't get to see, unfortunately, who Ezekiel sounded like. But like, Lars, did you have that experience where it was like, oh, this is me. This is, yeah. I'm, I'm getting there, you know? I, I can, yes, that is a fantastic question. So when I was, uh, before I started comedy, so this would have been, I would have been, call it 1996, 97, somewhere in there. So I started comedy in 2003. But when a 19-year-old Rob Pugh was running a place on Sunday called Fargo's. Right. So I got to watch this young comic just be so great. And then the first show I ever did was at Fargo's, and Rob Pugh was there. And I remember going up to him being like, do you have any advice for me? Did you, did you watch my set? Do you have anything to tell me? And he's like, I just keep doing it. So if I've watched Rob Pugh, and for the listeners here who are unfamiliar, P-U-E as an album – He's one of the most charismatic. He is one of the most original. He is one of the best comedians I have ever seen live. So when you talk about wearing your influences on your sleeve, without a doubt, people ask me who my favorite comedian is. I mean, Rob Pugh. I, you know, somebody like, like Bill Burr or, or Jim Jeffries or even you know, Sarah Silverman, who are just so great. I put Rob Pugh up with them. So Rob Pugh did this thing that a joke was never finished. So you'd see him tell a joke and I would, I've opened for him on the road when I was starting out and, you know, we used to work with him all the time, see him at open mics. He would tell a joke. And if you watch his comedy now, he has a great, great, I'm going to paraphrase. So he goes, you know, I, I took a Greyhound bus to Los Angeles and they give you a questionnaire. And I was talking about the customs form, right? They give you a questionnaire. And so we get a test. We're on the Greyhound bus. because I think the reason that most of us are on the bus is because we didn't study. <laughs> and then he turns to the guy beside him and he goes hey man what did you get for number one i've been absent <laughs> and the ideas that he has and the wording that he uses he goes uh, the third question on the test was do you have ten thousand dollars in cash not have you ever made are you liquid have you got ten thousand dollars in cash <laughs> You know, it took every ounce of willpower not to look that border guard in the eye and say, it says Greyhound. Has <laughs> <laughs> this thing got wings I don't know about? Hold on. Let me key into my attache hockey bag. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the attache hockey bag. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Is all of the words. Now, his jokes are near perfection. Yeah. And if you watch him do the joke three nights in a row, not he will have switched out 15% of the words. Yeah. And the new words that he's put in will be exceptional. So what that taught me to do was, it's not finished. Right. And what happens, I've had people notice, they're like, I like how you are always playing with it. And it keeps it fresh for people who've seen me before, but it also, and perhaps more importantly, keeps it fresh for me. 
So I'm not reciting the same thing and I'm trying to find new words all the time. So before we started recording, we're talking about a new joke I'm working on. And the idea is, aren't we glad that coronavirus happened in a time of streaming services? Because if, if this would have happened in blockbuster times, you would have never been able to get a new release. You would have been, you'd have been begging them to look at the return bin. Hey, can you, can you check in the return bin? Uh, I'm tired of watching adventures in babysitting. <laughs> and so what I'm doing at all these backyard shows, these fire pit shows is I'm going to every single possible. And it has to be, it has to make a connection to somebody who's over 30 or, yeah. you know, has to make an instantaneous connection and jog their memory. And so I'm doing it again and again. Hey, can, can you check the return bin? Uh, I'm tired of watching Teen Wolf. <laughs> and I'm doing it again and again and again yeah. with a cult, late 80s, early 90s. And it, 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 whichever one is getting the bigger laugh, eventually that'll be the one. Yeah. B but the constant playing with what is the funniest possible word yeah. comes from Rob Pugh. It's the Rob mm -hmm. Pugh school of comedy where it's not done. It's not done. And just keep minor adjustments to find where it's better and you will be able to sell it more. You can say with conviction, this is what the story is. You know, when Ezekiel's telling a story about, and then they wanted me to cook bread over human dung. And then if that was the big reaction, you're like, okay, that's the keeper. That's we're going to put human dung in this story. And then, and then I begged God to let me cook it over cow dung. And God said, sure. And then, and then he's like, okay, put that in the story. That's, that's the keeper, you know? So, you know, so Rob Pugh, taught me that don't be done with it and he was also the one who pioneered doing comedy at karaoke nights in edmonton and doing right. it at poetry nights and doing it at music open mics i mean all of the 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 work ethic i learned from rob Pugh and andrew iwanek like that's yeah. who i learned the work ethic from and people say man you're the hardest working comedian and i'm like yeah but i learned it from somebody i didn't yeah. that wasn't my idea that was <laughs> that was all rob Pugh. Well, and surrounding yourself with, that's the other thing that we don't see is that we see Ezekiel. Ezekiel was part of a community of prophets, like Jeremiah was doing stuff at the time. Like there was genuinely a community of prophets who were kind of like-minded. And what we don't see is like the, the way that the community that you're in, I, this is definitely true in comedy. If you're in a better comedy scene, it makes you better as a comedian. You know, like I remember... I had like I was out, out for a while and then just recently I started before all this happened I started doing open mics again and there was a lot of really great open micers and I was like oh crap I gotta raise my game you know and it's just like and I think that those of us who are gonna get better as craftspeople that's part of it is that like oh I need to I need to raise my game you know like this is important and like I care about it I want to be as good as the people around me, you know, and you can see the people, the people who don't get better, are the people who get jealous of the people around them. Like, Oh, this guy thinks he's all uppity. Look at, you know, or this guy, you know, like these kids with their like non joke jokes or whatever. You know? It's just like, <laughs> Noor, you're right. Noor is one of the reasons Noor um, and the crew that he used, they lived in Edmonton for a while. Yeah. And these, these two, three young hotshots moved into Edmonton. And they were original and they were funny and they were working hard. I would see them at every open mic. I would see them at every comedy club. I would see them at every amateur night. And when they got on stage, they were right funny. I mean, they were right funny. And, and it's exactly how I felt, Dan, was I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to make sure these kids <laughs> remember. And I mean, I, when I watched Noor headline a show last year, 
I watched him tell some of the most original, funny ideas. The material was tight. And those moments of seeing somebody who has, who has gone from this, he was a yeah. kid and he was a hot shot. He was, he was, well, you know. I, I, I like to take that. I, 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 was the, I was the first person to take Charles Haycock on the road. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which, you know, like, and I felt bad because there was, like, you, you, if you saw Charles when he started, you know, like, rural Alberta was not necessarily the friendliest place to him just because he was, like, he was still learning. And all the pieces were there, but he just hadn't slapped it together in a way that he knew how to get over. But, yeah, I, but I still just, like, I, uh, like I, he did, like, w like, I see his Winnipeg set, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, he's past me, this jerk. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about, too, one of the things that God does that's interesting, we talked about responsibility, and this is kind of one of the last questions I want to ask, just because we're running out of time, but I, I love this talk about craft, and we're all comics, we could talk about it, you know, we could spend the next eight hours doing this, but um, but back to the Bible for a second, one of the things that God does is is he's very specific with Ezekiel that, I'm giving you this responsibility, and if you don't follow through on it, I'm holding you responsible. You're not responsible for their actions. You know, like, you're not responsible for people's response to the message that you give. But if you don't give it, I'm holding you accountable for anything that happens to them. We live in a world that has become, I feel like our culture is very much, very individualistic right now, where, where we don't feel like we have a connection to our neighbors and that, you know, they can still, and you can see it really in a lot of these pandemic responses where people are like, I want to get the economy going. I don't care if grandma dies and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, 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 we've all grown up with that, but is that, does that sound fair to you? Does that sound unfair like what do you think about god saying to ezekiel i'm gonna hold you responsible for your actions in giving this message to those people um well i guess i'll go first uh honestly uh i i, I like that idea because i think when it comes down to it uh like we we have to be responsible for our own actions and like it had we have to look at it like that way so like i do like that idea of like um he's saying like you got to be responsible for i'm going to hold you responsible for your actions and not like whatever happens to them because like i, I think that's a good point like you are never going to be able to control anything uh, outside of yourself like anybody else's actions or what any other outside event but you can control your actions and like um even in like comedy and stuff, like when I started looking at uh, comedy in that way, like I'm never going to control who's going to book me, what festival is right. going to take me, what opportunities I'm going to get, but I can only control myself, my work ethic. So when I started looking at comedy that way, all of a sudden a lot of stuff started to come my way and a lot of like better fortune came my way because like I just kind of just focused on what I could do and kind of like throughout uh, or not uh like stop focusing on all the outside events and other people right mm -hmm. yeah and and my take on that particular thing is um i am my brother's keeper hmm. and so while i can't control what other people how they act how they feel um uh, it is my responsibility to try and get a message to them and I don't know if it's because I've always felt, um, you know, 
I feel like I can call people out for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been able to say like, Hey, what you're doing is, is rude, is mean, is, yeah, is not nice. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, if you're, if I'm on the LRT and there's some, you know, somebody drunk and yelling at somebody else, I've always been the person to stand up and say, Hey, yeah. we're okay. If you want yeah. to talk to somebody, come talk to me. And I look at it like when he was given the responsibility to convey this message. And if you go, well, why me? Instead right. of asking the why me, I've, there's a couple of quotes that I really love. Um, Don't ask for a light load. Ask for a strong back. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I love that I'm in a position where I can help other entertainers right now. We're, you know, we're going to get other entertainers performing. Atomic Improv, Donovan just got a gig and he's on Twitter. He goes, Lars, you just got me my first gig. It wow. is my responsibility to create so much work that I have extra. I love mm. the quote. I love the quote. Um, you should, the only reason you should look into your neighbor's bowl is to make sure they have enough. Right. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah. And yeah. So, so when I look into my neighbor's bowl and I think, I want to make sure you guys have enough and I have extra. I have tons extra. And then when I think about, is it my responsibility to spread a message of, I expect you to be kind? Is it my responsibility to say, you should be nicer? If not me, then who? And so if Ezekiel's like, I got to lay here for 390 days and do this, instead of looking at that like, well, why couldn't we, why me? Instead of that, I look at it like, if not me, then who? I'll take on this responsibility. (laughs) And I will, if, you know, if God holds me accountable for not conveying this thought or idea to these other people, I accept that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't control others, but I mean, it, it sends a pretty strong message if you rent out the entire laser tag arena. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really does, you know. Um, and, and, and what's interesting is like you said that thing about the strong back, it's interesting because the exact wording of what and this is a theme to a few different prophets where God calls them to like, and all prophets in the Bible get a call where God says to like, I've called you to go give this message to these people. And, um, and Isaiah in his call says, so how long do I deliver this message? Like, so his, I, so God tells Isaiah, tell them that everything is going to be destroyed until they change. Uh, uh, if they don't change their, change their minds and their actions, everything's going to be destroyed. And Isaiah's like, okay, so how long do I do this? And God says, until everything is destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) um, But what he says to Isaiah and Jeremiah and to Ezekiel is, I will give you the languages, I will give you a forehead of flint, because these are rebellious people, you know? And and I've always loved that image of the forehead of flint, that like... you're gonna you're gonna be hard headed. They're you these you're gonna smash your head against these people over and over again. They're not gonna listen, uh, but I'm gonna give you a hard head. Um, and I think the challenge is, and this is where the other part comes in, thinking scripturally is is to maintain a hard head and a soft heart because those yeah. are the two things that I think you need to be a healthy human is you know the the hard head head of resiliency to be like I'm just gonna smash this thing until it breaks or it doesn't and I. <laughs> fall down but a soft heart that um you don't want your heart to get hard right because then you don't love the people that are around you you don't love the people that you're working with you don't love the the audience and And you can't connect with them either without without the soft heart And, and that's such a challenge because 
you know, I think the the operating mode of the world in which we live is to be soft headed and hard hearted, you know, and it yeah, becomes really dangerous. Yeah, that's and, a good point. As people get bitter, as they get older, and they feel like sometimes their kindness or their generosity was abused or somebody took advantage of them. I really do like the idea that no amount of love was ever wasted. Mm. Now, somebody might have, you know, we gave a friend money and they stole it or, you know, we, yeah. we did something. We, we loved somebody and they were unfaithful to us, whatever it is. That small amount of love will ripple. It will resound. It will change that person a little bit. And, and not being made harder over the course of 40, 50, 60 years is something. But whenever I see somebody who was cheated a little bit, I often think to them, think to myself, but you're doing it right. You're doing it right. And there's a Grantland Rice quote. And the Grantland Rice quote is one of my favorites. And it is, when the one great scorer comes to write against your name, he marks not that you won or lost, but how you played. And, And I can look at this game of life and say, I played fairly. Yeah, I played it honestly. I played it decent, and and uh, the well, the last quote I'll throw. Could. Yeah, yeah, and so the last quote is, "A clear conscience is the best pillow." Yeah. No. Oh wow! Yeah, you're throwing down some good quotes yeah, today, Lars. <laughs> So the question that we always leave the show with, because uh, we got to get going, I got to get going. So, uh, it, but um, uh, sorry to cut this off quick, but we always ask the question: Do we tame this story, toss it, or turn it up? Ezekiel is a pretty, it's a pretty generic story in some ways, and it's not often told because it's like a whole lot of weird images and visions and callings, and then and then performance art, which is difficult to convey in person. You know, like, you, we've all been to the place where you, there's this weird fringe act, and you're like, you gotta go see this thing. What's it about? And you're like, I have no idea, but you gotta go see the thing. So do we tame it, toss it, turn it up? What do you guys think about that? Tame it, toss it, turn it up. Um... I think for uh, creatives, I think it's a good turn it up the uh, uh, story because yeah. uh, I loved it as a creative just listening to it. So uh, definitely for creatives, I think it's a turn it up. Yeah, and I think that all of us are creatives in our own way, but definitely, yeah, to have that process, that commitment, that that seeking of a reason for why you're doing what you're doing beyond I like to do it and I get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that yeah. that's important. What about you, Lars? Tame it, toss it. Turn it up because the idea of how committed are you to getting your message across, Mm. whatever your message is. If you're a woodworker, how committed are you to getting your cabinets out there? If you're a comedian, how committed are you to finding a stage to perform on? And I think it's a a little bit about complete and total commitment in what you believe in, whether that's that's, um, ethically, morally, spiritually. If you completely commit to what you're doing, whatever whatever that thing is this is this is a great example of that Mm. you are completely committed and um i want people to find a passion something they believe in and just pour their heart and soul into it and then who knows i mean you'll get to go to a wave pool (laughs) (laughs) if we're only so lucky yeah I don't think we're going to stop on a funnier line than that. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this. This is really great to have you guys being a part of it. Uh, 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, please rate and do all the iTunes stuff. And uh, I will see you guys very soon. Thank you guys so much for being a part of it. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks so much.